0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America, NA, member FDSE.
1: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Lantesta, and this is our show for the week of Schmears Day, May fifteenth, twenty twenty three. On the show today, news and listener questions. Then we talk about the best ways to tour Disney's Animal Kingdom without paying for Genie Plus. And in our feature segment, Jim tells us about Aladdin's Oasis, the short-lived restaurant slash show that ran at Disneyland from the summer of 1993 through the summer of 1994. Let's get started by bringing in the man who asks, what makes English teachers wake up one morning and say, today's the day I assign a short story that'll haunt these kids for the rest of their lives? It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going?
0: (laughs) Does Ethan Frome count as a short story? I mean, it's 195 pages, I grant you, you know, and... And I know there are people out there that love Edith Wharton, but I haven't gotten on a sled since Len. You know.
1: <laughs> See, for me, it was uh, it was the lottery, and I think for uh, a lot of people, it was the, the lottery. That,
0: that, that was number two. That was yeah,
1: there number you go. two for everyone. It's number two.
0: <laughs> wow,
1: I know, right? It's, we had a shared childhood, but like thirty years apart. <laughs>
0: oh my cow! Shirley Jackson is that who wrote the? Lottery? Yeah, 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 yeah. Shirley. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Those two, Len.
1: Well, sleep well, everyone, and good night. <laughs>
0: I know, right? Oh, wow.
1: Okay. (laughs) All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout-out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Corey Pages New York, Sherry Fegley, Andy Belster, and the Princess of Panache, Dr. J.K. O'Neill, and longtime subscribers Wayne the Explorer, Paula Bolstein, Andy Harbert, and MKH Ryder. Jim, these are the droid programmers who work behind the scenes to ensure that Ronto Roasters delivers consistently good reps— All day, every day. They say that because this is the first droid powered quick service in the parks, they've learned a lot, like what happens when you accidentally spin a case of sausages at 2200 RPM, and also that Walt Disney World's insurance adjusters can still be surprised once in a while. (laughs) True story.
0: Coincidentally, does this have anything to do with? I'm that not saying thing? the
1: two things are related. I'm not saying they're not. <laughs>
0: Those folks who were, were injured by flying saucers is over in Toy Story Land. Yeah. <laughs> who knew?
1: Who, who knew? No. Links went that far. Yeah. Oh, okay. Actually, I was there yesterday for breakfast, and it was delightful. So okay. no, no, no issues there at all. All right, mm-hmm. all right, folks. Let's do the news, folks. The Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast, for a worry-free travel experience every time. Book online at StorybookDestinations.com. All right, Jim, a whole bunch of Disney Parks news dropped this week, and I want to start with an earnings call on Wednesday because the earnings call will explain a lot of the news that we heard in the couple of days before the earnings call. How's that sound? Works for me. All right, so for the entire company, uh, revenue and profit were in line with expectations. I think the two big things we want to note here are um, what happened around Disney Plus, number one, and their Disney Plus subscribers dropped by 2%. Are around 4 million households. Most of that actually came from India, where apparently, uh, Jim, did you know this? Disney Plus lost
0: uh, broadcast rights to Cricket? Uh, star is that, that I, I want to yeah. say over there, their Disney Plus outfit, Star. Yeah, that was a, a real issue for those folks. It was a big loss. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, those subscribers
1: were paying the American equivalent of 50 cents a month mm-hmm. for Disney Plus. So a lot of subscri- subscribers lost, but not a lot of money lost. All Domestically, true. Disney Plus lost 600,000 subscribers, but some of that loss was offset by higher prices. Mm-hmm. Overall, uh, Disney Plus resulted in a net loss of just under $660 million for the quarter. Also, Disney said it's going to remove content from streaming, but didn't say everything that was going to be removed, and that's going to result in another loss of $1.5 to $1.8 billion. So, uh, still,
0: streaming is a whole, a
1: drag on uh, on Disney earnings, right?
0: Yeah. But to their credit, Zaslav over at Warner Brothers Discovery, they use the same language. So the effect of, you know, we're not bleeding as badly. Exactly. <laughs>
1: the ship is sinking, but way less slowly. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> we're, we're we're hoping we can either the that the ship sinks slow enough that we can actually repair it or mm. be rescued before it, before we all die. Yeah. There we go. On the uh, Parks Experience and Products side of Disney, revenue was up 17% to 7.7 <laughs> 7 billion. The vast majority of that is in theme parks and crews, $5.5 billion. The important thing to note here, Jim, and this was sort of like in the middle of a paragraph, but uh, Disney said that while spending in the parks was up, the number of visitors was down in Walt Disney World, and that was only slightly offset by an increase in Disneyland. So you and I have talked about this for the last you know couple of months, how it seemed like it was less crowded in Walt Disney World. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and Disney's finally acknowledged that. Mm-hmm. right? So fewer people coming to the park. Also, uh, just one quick thing to note, in the Q&A part of the call, Bob Iger noted that investment in the parks would be through higher-capacity attractions and rides built on IP. So higher-capacity rides, no small one-offs. That might be why the Mary Poppins ride didn't didn't go through. It was like, if we're going to spend that money, why don't we spend it on something that gets more people through per hour?
0: I'm kind of fascinated, given how much you have been keeping track of Rise of the resistance and the amount of downtime that's had per day. Two hours a day,
1: every day. Yeah.
0: It was interesting. Laurel and I were in in the studios yesterday, and Mm -hmm. we were talking about how that's
1: still a problem. It Mm -hmm. it was a problem because we were watching some people who who had got, got in line, basically waited for the hour, got kicked out of line. Because the ride went down, and unless you make it to the first pre show, Disney doesn't give you a comeback later fast pass. Oh. You have to make it to the first show. So it's possible. Uh, so, you know, Laurel just finished a, a class in statistics mm-hmm. at Columbia, and, uh, and she, we were trying to figure out how many people per day get in line twice only to get kicked out twice per day. We, we figured the number was in the dozens per day. <sighs> yeah, which is not, it's not, it doesn't sound like a huge number, but, you know, that's
0: probably like, you know, five to 10 families. Oh, easily. That are impacted, you know. And if you think about the stories they tell when they get home from their yeah, vacation, they and they tell yeah, them people, they, yeah. So that's the uh, yeah. that's the thing there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So still not still not
1: great there. But the point was for Rises of the Resistance that because it's making Disney so much money on in individual Lightning Lane, mm-hmm. they can't bring it down long enough to do the maintenance that would prevent the downtime. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could, but they would lose a lot of money. And so the the trade off for them there is like. No one's going to tell Bob Iger that we have to shut the ride down for six months mm-hmm.
0: to fix these core issues. Long term, you know, the, the very thing we're talking about—you know—that this dip in you know folks going to Walt Disney World. So
1: yeah, exactly. All right, on to the uh, better news. Disney's mm-hmm. earnings call was preceded on Monday by a set mm-hmm. of long-awaited announcements from Disney. The first one, Jim, the park reservations go away starting January eighth, twenty twenty-four, for mm-hmm. date-based tickets. Now, Jim, you remember when Disney implemented. Park reservations. Originally, it was for the pandemic, but yep. then it became the rationale became, you know, we're going to keep doing this because it results in a better guest experience. And Jim, mm-hmm. to prove that I am becoming a better man every day, I resisted the <laughs> urge to write to Disney's media relations and say, does the removal of park reservations mean an overall worse guest experience? <laughs> Because you said it was better for putting it in. <laughs> did, not, did not do that, Jim. I am a better man. Actually, here's what I really think it means is that um, mm-hmm. they're not going to sell park tickets mm-hmm. after a certain point. So park tickets become the reservation system during hmm. this year times of the year. Disney hasn't said it yet, but I think that's sort of like the implied answer to that. What do you think? So work with me here. We don't have... <laughs> yeah, I
0: know where you're going. Go ahead. <laughs> People <laughs> buy vacation packages. Go to Walt Disney World. Yeah. And the notion of let's go to the kingdom today or let's go over to the studios. and We're being spontaneous. It's a vacation. That's what you do. How do the date sold for that specific date tickets work with that many people on property?
1: So I think what will happen is uh, people who buy multi-day date-based mm-hmm. tickets, like let's say you're going for Christmas. If you buy mm-hmm. a ticket from December 25th through the 31st, right? Okay. You're going to automatically be guaranteed access to whatever parks you want for those days. Okay. Okay. But when it reaches a certain level, Mm -hmm. right, Disney will probably start cutting back on individual date-based tickets. And my guess is probably for Hollywood Studios first, Mm. right? And then Magic Kingdom, right? That's my guess.
0: I love that we're trading the quicksand snake-infested pit for, for a slightly nicer looking... <laughs> for spiders. <laughs> there telling you yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. The, it, but you know, the, this also addresses the issue that Disney had with the lawsuit in California where people mm-hmm. had an annual pass but couldn't get reservations. And by, mm-hmm. so by saying, if you have a ticket that guarantees you mm-hmm. a reservation, then you eliminate that problem. Hmm, Yeah. Also, speaking of annual pass holders, annual pass holders will have more days where they don't need to make a reservation starting in 2024. So that's good. Also, Jim, big news, the Disney dining plan returns for 2024. Did you hear the rejoicing from your window or did you actually have to go (laughs) online? Because I heard it from here in Celebration.
0: I do get that. But knowing what the Disney dining plan is, what a gas in the tank it is for... A certain subset of people are like, oh, now we're going to Disney. What does that say about long-term reservations? I mean, face it, the, the, the fact that this is returning in 2024. 24, yeah. What do you think that means?
1: It means they've written off 2023. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and I, I'm only partially joking here, but it's May, Jim. People have oh. already made their vacation plans for the year. <sighs> wow. Right? If okay. it's May, people have already made their summer vacations. They probably mm-hmm. figured there aren't that many people that we're going to change their minds on between May and the end of September, which is the end of Disney's fiscal year. Okay. Right. We might as well just start it, you know, in 2024, which is a date when people understand, right. Mm-hmm. People are coming for Christmas. have already booked for Christmas and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the interesting thing for me for the dining plan, a couple of interesting things. One, mm-hmm. I was in the magic kingdom on Sunday and I almost, mm-hmm. I took a picture and almost sent it to you, but it mm-hmm. was noon on Sunday in May, and out in front of Crystal Palace was a sign that said, we have plenty of reservations available. Come on in. Oh. <laughs> because when they announced this on Monday, I'm like, yeah, this sign was basically foretelling, you know, the return of the dining plan. Because if, if it's Crystal Palace and it's noon wow. on a weekend and you don't have enough people to fill the restaurant, something's up. Yeah.
0: Wow. And, and that's still... The Winnie the Pooh characters in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, it wasn't
1: out yesterday when I walked through the Magic Kingdom, and it wasn't there this morning, but Sunday and Monday it was. So a couple of other things. Um, Only two dining plans returned. The quick service plan, which is two quick service meals, uh, and then the standard dining plan, which is one quick service meal, a sit-down meal. Both of of the plans will come with a refillable mug. Disney has said that there will be one less snack per person per day, So you used to get two snacks per per person per day. Now it's just one. A snack is roughly $6-ish in the parks. So there's a $6 price increase right there. And Disney actually said, we're doing this to keep things more affordable. Like, otherwise we would have to charge you $6 and people wouldn't like it. Um, Also, they didn't say initially that alcoholic drinks and specialty beverages, which remember were added right before the pandemic, to Mm -hmm. the dining plan. Disney hadn't said explicitly whether those were coming back. But then in sort of like after hours chats we heard oh god yeah this is the this is the big question we're getting mm-hmm. we're pretty sure they're coming back so we'll okay. see okay also disney hasn't mentioned prices yet for this i've heard those will come out at the end of the month disney mm-hmm. has said there'll be around 200 locations to redeem the dining plan at but no word on third party participation and jim i would love to hear what those third party participation conversations are like.
0: When exactly is this getting underway in 2024? Do we it's know It's uh, January
1: 8th or 9th. I can't remember the exact date, uh, 2024. Okay. So, okay. yeah. Also, a couple of other interesting things. Um, Disney announced that they're simplifying the number of room view categories mm-hmm. at certain deluxe resorts. So, you know, right now, if you go to like the Grand Floridian, there, mm-hmm. there might be literally a dozen different room views mm-hmm. because Disney over the years Has figured out which rooms people request the most and Mm -hmm. then try to segment those into specific view categories that they can charge more for, right? Mm -hmm. This idea of like, you know, slicing up the the pie ever finer and Mm -hmm. charging more for each individual slice, right? That's something that they've been doing. So this is really a reversal of that trend. And I was mildly surprised to see that, right? Like, so the three categories are going to be resort view, water view, and theme park view. Theme park view, we always, we all understand. You know, mm. you get a, a view of a theme park. The questions I have a, I have a number of questions. Right, one is: mm-hmm. Does Water View count pools? Oh God! <laughs> like, like I, I'm sorry. Are we, are we specific about the kinds of water that we can there see? We go. Here? <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: Well, you know, it's a puddle, but but it's a very scenic puddle. Oh, okay, yeah.
1: look, Jim. If you crane your neck, there's a bird <laughs> bath over to the east. <laughs> I don't know if you could sit. No, <laughs> stand on your, on your toes, Jim. On your toes. Stand, stand there you up. Go. Okay, Okay, there, yeah. There you go. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it's like at Yacht Club sometimes. Yeah, and then the other question I have is, like, by lumping everything else mm-hmm. into resort view, right. you end up saying that views of, like, the lovely gardens of the beach club or the lush landscaping of Wilderness mm-hmm. Lodge are the same as... Those views that we've talked about where you're basically looking at the garbage station.
0: I was like, about Those say. are all the
1: same price. <laughs> oh. <laughs> There's a story here, too, and I don't know what it is. We'll hear it
0: one day. <laughs> okay, okay. You know, and again, remember what we were talking about, that Wilderness Lodge view that somebody shared where it was you know, the towels... Out back on the loading, yeah. So dock? the
1: soil, the soil towels in a in a giant tram. The only thing that was missing, Jim, wasn't was a raccoon trying to. I ride was about on top to say, you know, the, oh, the, you know
0: the, oh, you have a wildlife view. Oh, you <laughs> yes. know, that's yeah. gonna
1: be extra. So that's that's the same as sort of like a a, a view of the actual woods. Like I mm-hmm. I I don't know how long this is gonna last, mm-hmm. you know. So we'll we'll see on that one. Anyway, I understand if it's gonna simplify things that that's a a worthwhile uh, goal to achieve.
0: Okay, let's see how this does going forward.
1: Two more things. Uh, Disney said that early theme park entry and extended evening theme park hours are going to continue through 2024. Nobody really thought that they were going away now, given the attendance issues Mm -hmm. uh, Disney's having. But the last one, Jim, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Jim, there are some things where the Disney board of directors and the executives absolutely know better than the Mm -hmm. fans about how to run a business right they they are all very good at what they do and they have the experience and the leadership skills frankly that the, the fan base doesn't have right mm-hmm. but then there are times jim when the smart thing to do would just be, be to take 10 random people in the park and say what's the best way to do this <laughs> and here's an example of this jim okay disney's hinting that in-advance planning is coming to genie plus so the exact quote is mm-hmm. we've heard from guests that they would like ways to play in with Disney genie service and individual lightning lane selections before the day of their visit. And we want you to know that we are working on ways. Guests may do this for visits in 2024 while we're not yet able to share specific details. We look forward to sharing more information at a later date. So Jim, I read this and I mm-hmm. put it through my Disney translator and what came out with was we're going back to FastPass plus, but for money and Jim, if the Disney executives and the board of directors had come to you and me in mm-hmm. 2020 and said, look, we want to make money off of Pass. what's the best way to do it? I mm-hmm. think you and I would have said, just start charging for it. Don't change the name. Don't change the rules. Don't change the way in which you use the system, right? Just say, oh yeah, FastPass Plus It's coming back, but it's $20 a day. Mm-hmm. And that would have saved, I'm thinking, Jim, hundreds of millions of dollars in expenditures here. Because the amount of money that Disney had to go through to do the reprogramming of the systems, to rebrand everything, to paint the signs and print out all the stuff, you know, and the people to, to create that content, and then to train everyone, and then to educate guests over the last three years. Mm-hmm. The simplest thing to do would have been, yeah, Fast Pass Plus, it's $20 now, sorry. And we all would have said it. There's not a single person who listens to this show Mm -hmm. Who, given the choice between FastPass is now $20, or the thing
0: we got with Genie Plus, would have gone with Genie Plus. No one. Friend of the show, Jim Scholl, shared the number that the company had to spend just when they rebranded from Disney MGM to Disney's Hollywood Studios. Oh, really? I haven't heard this. What's the number? I want to say it was three million dollars. Yeah. You know, just on highway signs and letterhead, and and then the intangibles that spread out from there. So just the the thing that you were talking about with the the branding. You know, and, and, well none of that. But think about they had to reprogram an entire system, like computer oh.
1: systems behind the scenes. Yeah. To do it, that's that's where the real money is because programmers ain't cheap.
0: Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. All
1: right. So anyway, so those are our, those are our big uh, big news items mm-hmm. for, uh, for the week. I'm super excited to hear what happens between now and the end of the month. Mm-hmm. So we'll go forward. All right, Jim, we've got time for some listener questions. Evan wrote in with a question for you, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Evan said, I remember in an episode a few years back, Jim mentioned a plan Disney had to bring pandas to Animal Kingdom. It was based on the hope that Shanghai Disney would be successful. And then Evan says, like I said, it was a few years ago. Have you heard any <laughs> development on this? Also, is there or has there been anything in the works about bringing more animals and exhibits into Animal Kingdom? Mm-hmm. There really hasn't been many new species with the exception of the hyenas and the African wild dogs and Kilimanjaro Safari. I also vaguely remember Jim mentioning something about snow leopards around Everest in its early stages, but I could be wrong. So, Jim, any uh, anything about new animals in Animal
0: Kingdom? From D23 last year, Josh Tomorrow standing on stage and blue skying with Jennifer Lee and from the parks – Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is when they talked about Animal Kingdom, it was about the Moana area that would allow some animals from Polynesia to be put into small enclosures. But Mm. to circle back to what you were just saying early on about what Bob Iger just said at the earnings call to the effect of high capacity rides keying off of IP. You know, I mean, if you remember the section from Moana, we actually saw a a spinner that looked like a reskinned version of Triceratops spin, yeah. coupled with a a flumish ride in that same space, and with the Zootopia thing looming in the background, and that's supposedly again a repurposing of of dinosaurs ride system. I wish there were better news about animal things of size, but the, the hard reality is that you have to put so much money into back of house when you yeah. you create new animal exhibits whereas during this time when when a, a disney is still paying down you know the giant debt from the fox asset acquisition yeah. a ride you know and especially if you're reskinning the triceratops spin and and dinosaur yeah in
1: the long run rides might be cheaper yeah
0: yeah, no, that's it exactly. And, and Evan mentioned the snow leopard thing. I, I actually remember that was from the very first booklet of potential ideas for, which at that, that point, by the way, that was back when Michael Eisner was pushing that it was Disney's Wild Animal Kingdom. Ah, and okay. the attraction that was going to feature the snow leopard. You were basically going to take a skyway through a giant building that was supposedly taking you up the side of of the Himalayas. And, you know, for example, there'd be one animal enclosure where you could look down at muskox, and there'd be another animal enclosure where you could, you know, see the snow leopards. And then in the final enclosure was where the lightning would strike and you would get to see, for a, a brief moment... The Abominable Snowman, you know, which that ride never made it into the parks, but eventually we did get Expedition Everest. Yeah, all
1: right.
0: You know, I mean, so we never got our muskox, we never got our snow leopard, but we did get the Abominable Snowman. All right, fair. Mm-hmm.
1: And and so, Evan, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of sad that uh, there are no immediate plans to bring in African uh, or other species into the animal kingdom. But let me give you the bright side of this. As a Floridian resident— uh, Evan Invasive species Like the Burmese <laughs> python The red lionfish And the giant African snail Are constantly moving north From the Everglades Evan And it's only a matter of months Until you're walking along Your your uh, walkway At uh, Art of Animation And you mm-hmm. see one of these things Trying to come up And snuggle you So Evan It's only a matter of time
0: <laughs> Isn't the, uh, the panda Considered an invasive species as Well again Or just like You come home And all right, all right Who ate all the bamboo <laughs> I don't think you let them out into the Everglades, though. I think that's where we're going Ah, with that. Well, I'm just saying, Len. Could be fun. They'd be easy to spot Uh on.
1: (laughs) I'll I'll tell the uh, Florida Wildlife Commission about your suggestion. And (laughs) if they get back to you, let me know. Okay. (laughs) All right. Another letter from uh, Rick, who -hmm. says, uh, Last week's Star of the Day program Mm -hmm. was especially interesting, as I have a connection to it. One of Mm -hmm. our best friends was the main plaid for the program Mm -hmm. when it launched and for several years after. He was the personal tour guide for most of the stars, and has tremendous stories about everyone that visited. Some really great ones about Jim Henson and Carol Channing. By the way, Jim, have I ever said that Carol Channing was my least favorite guest on Love Boat? Honest to God. <laughs> she was with Betty White. And oh every God. me muttering things about Carol Channing in the background while Laurel's trying to watch Love Boat was the one theme across eight seasons that we had. Drove me. Insane, like nails on a chalkboard, Jim. Oh. I'm sure she's a lovely woman, a saint. Okay. But okay. anyway, mm-hmm. okay. anyway, Rick says, uh, I forwarded your show to him mm-hmm. and he enjoyed the trip down memory lane. He did have mm-hmm. two small clarifications. One, each star visited for five days each, not five or three. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's good. Also, okay. we confirmed that only one of the cement squares was kept for each star. The others were disposed of, so there goes the
0: revenue stream that you suggested. You know, sometimes, Jim, the show is just heartbreak. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Rick is correct. In fact, Again, the whole notion was they would do two stars of the week and eventually Mm -hmm. they realized it was more cost effective effective to do one star per week. So, you know, it was Howard Duff, you know, for, you know, Monday through Friday, go to the studio. There's Howard (laughs) Duff. All right. But evidently there's at least one Disney executive who, if you go out to his patio at the back of his (laughs) house— You knew it. You
1: knew somebody was green model with them.
0: Well, no, that's it. Exactly. It's just one of these things where it's like, wait a minute. Aren't they supposed to be at the studio? It's like, eh, ah, they didn't notice. So, you know, just, it's like, you know.
1: Larry, where do you want those burgers? Oh, you know, put them by the, by the, the concrete with, that says Tina Louise. There you go. <laughs> when they're wedding planning, it's like, okay, you you stand on the Tina Louise thing. And then over here, we're yeah. going to have the uh, the parents of the bride. They're by the Jim Backus concrete
0: slab. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so sometime when you and I are both down in, in Central Florida again, I'll arrange a visit. So we can go mm. and you can hear the story of how they just wandered here. I don't, I don't you know. Just... Walk into the backyard and they've somehow appeared.
1: Uh, you know, I'm just saying that coincidentally, last week, the other thing I looked for were forklifts and black cat suits. I was <laughs> just saying. <laughs> okay, well,
0: we, we could uh, still use them.
1: All right, okay, here we go. Okay. All right, also last week, Jim, uh, I did some research with Christina mm. at Animal Kingdom, and mm-hmm. so uh, with, with some cast member help. So uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about how to do Disney's Hollywood studios without using. Genie Plus, and we talked about the mm-hmm. research that we're doing at Touring Plants mm-hmm. around that. So we did the same thing in Animal Kingdom, and I want to share now with our listeners the best way we found to tour all the attractions in Animal Kingdom without using Genie Plus. Okay, and there's actually two versions of this plan. One for when the Animal Kingdom opens at 7.30, so like busier times of the year, and then one for when the park opens at 8.30 or 9.00. Mm-hmm. Both plans start with Flight of Passage and Navi River Journey, and that's interesting because as we were testing these plans, uh, these plans, one of the things that we wanted to do was test against experts. Like when we're testing touring plans in the park, it's one thing to, you know, pick some random family from Oklahoma and say, mm-hmm. you know, here's a list of attractions, do them in the best order you think, and then we'll compare the times. And, that, and that's that's fine for like if you just want to get the average guest. But what we're looking for here is how does somebody who really knows the park well tour the park? So we mm-hmm. got some cast members who work in the park and we said, here, look, here's a list of 10 attractions. Do them whatever order you think is best. And then we're going to compare the times with the touring plant software. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is everyone starts at Flight of Passage and goes to Navi River Journey. That seems to be the consensus (laughs) bet as to the first first two attractions you should go on. Mm -hmm. All right. So if the park opens at 7.30 after Navi River Journey, you should do this in these orders. The Mickey Mouse meet-and-greet over at Adventures Outpost, Mm -hmm. then Kilimanjaro Safaris, then Expedition Everest, then Triceratops Spin, then Dinosaur. It's Tough to Be a Bug or Collie River Rapids. And by the time you get to It's Tough to Be a Bug in Collie River Rapids, it's sort of like a whatever you feel like going on next type thing. Mm-hmm. I put Collie River Rapids in because it's uh, the, the last thing before lunch and it gives you time to dry off. But you mm-hmm. could easily switch those if that's the way you want to walk through the park. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing here, though, is the decision about seeing the Adventures Outpost meet and greet with Mickey Mouse before Kilimanjaro Safaris. And it turns out that the wait at the Mickey Mouse meet and greet grows faster than the wait for Kilimanjaro Safaris at this time of day. And that's why you do it first.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, so adding in meet and greets is tricky for a couple of reasons. One mm-hmm. is, and this is why, like, you know, most of the touring plays you read online don't really do it because it's mm-hmm. hard. It, you know this, right? Uh, meet and greets have super low capacity. A okay. couple yeah. couple hundred people an hour. So mm-hmm. you're either getting there as soon as they open or the wait time grows much faster at any than at any other attraction at that time, mm-hmm. because a hundred people in line at Kilimanjaro Safaris is probably a couple of minutes of wait. A mm-hmm. hundred people in line at Mickey Ma- Mickey's meet and greet is probably half an hour wait. <laughs> right, oh, yeah. so he's, it's it's he's literally ten times the size, ten times mm-hmm. the wait at mm-hmm. meet and greet, given the same number of people. All right. the uh, The interesting thing though is that if the park opens at eight thirty or nine. There are more people who are willing to get up at that time for vacation than when the park opens at 7.30. So the dynamics change. And there you would do flood of Passage, Navi River Journey, but then you would go to safaris hmm. and because the line at safaris would get too long. Then hmm. Kali River Rapids, then the Adventures Outpost Meet and Greet, then Everest, Triceratops Spin, and Dinosaur. And it's tough to be a bug.
0: I mean, there's an amazing amount of back and forth here, though. Oh,
1: it is. That's the thing. Um, And, you know, there are ways to, if you, if you wanted to, to walk less, um, Mm -hmm. there are ways to do it. In fact, um, one of the interesting things that both the cast members that we tested with and the software came up with is Mm -hmm. if you said, I want to minimize walking, minimize backtracking, and I walk slow, it basically starts with a counterclockwise tour of the park, starting with Pandora. Mm -hmm. You end up waiting a really long time by the time you get to Kilimanjaro Safaris, but -hmm. you have minimized your walking. Now, Mm-hmm. That gets us through all of the major attractions in the park. If you if the park opens at 7.30, mm-hmm. everyone was done by 10.30 in the morning, Jim. Wow. Yeah, three hours. Average wait in line was under six minutes per attraction. If the park okay. opens later, you're still done by 11.45. Average wait in line is eight minutes per attraction. So, uh, and then the rest of the things to do in the, uh, in the park would be things like snacks or lunch, uh, shows, and the walking path. So let me give it to you. If the Mm -hmm. park is open early, you would eat lunch. You would go see the first showing of Festival of the Lion King. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then you would have an hour and 45 minutes to the next show. So actually, if you just wanted to grab a snack and then do Festival of the Lion King and then eat lunch, that's great. Mm -hmm. But then you could go to uh, see the Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail, which is also in Africa. You could walk back to the other side of the park through the Discovery Island Trails, Mm -hmm. do the Maharaja Jungle Trek, eat a snack while you're in Asia, go see Feathered Friends in Flight. Have another snack, go see Finding Nemo, and then play the Wilderness Explorers.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so that's that's sort of how the uh, the plan works. The um, for lunch, I would recommend Flame Tree Barbecue or oh, Satuli yeah. Canteen, and then definitely see Wilderness uh, Explorers when you're done.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually like the second half of the plan. You know that they, you know, snacks uh, and shows. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'm just you know you're back to actually seeing the animals or, or enjoying yeah. you know the quieter parts of the park.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing, because the, the, from noon on, mm-hmm. you know, really from like 11 o'clock on, the park is at its most crowded. And at that time, you're doing the walking trails and the nature trails, and then mm-hmm. the shows, which are all high-capacity things, while everyone else is in line. So that okay. works out well. The other uh, interesting thing was, as we were running through mm-hmm. the plans and watching what the cast members were doing, we were mm-hmm. plucking the, what the cast members did mm-hmm. into the software. So for 10 attractions in the Animal Kingdom, there's only like 3.6288 million Mm-hmm. different possible touring plans. And so one question we had was, how good are the plans that the cast members are coming up with on their own, right? Because mm-hmm. you figured, like, on average, the average person you pulled off the street, they would be, like, at the 50th percentile mm-hmm. for goodness. So, like, half the plans would be good, half the plans would be, you know, worse. And that's just, you know, how you would pick things. But these, mm-hmm. uh, these cast members, like, again, for 10 attractions starting very early in the morning, um, they were hitting, like, the 95th percentile, Wow. For, for touring plan efficiency. So these are very smart cast members, which you'd mm-hmm. expect. I mean, they've all been in the parks for, oh, sure, for years. Sure, sure, they know sure. what they're doing. And they go to the parks for fun, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other interesting thing was if you add an 11th attraction is mm-hmm. where people start to get confused. Like <laughs> 10 is really sort of a number that experts can kind of handle in their head. You mm-hmm. give them an 11th attraction, and they, they automatically can't compete with the software. It's, that's one too many things to put in the brain. Yeah, so it's 11, which is kind of neat.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I love you g- that you went to these folks to get their take on the park.
1: Yeah, because I figured that was, that was the first thing. The other thing was um, mm-hmm. that we noticed, and I was actually in the Magic Kingdom this morning before we recorded mm-hmm. with uh, Christina, who's doing Magic Kingdom testing. Ride breakdowns, Jim, mm-hmm. are just utter chaos. So mm-hmm. I was in the Magic Kingdom this morning because we're testing planes there. And the second attraction that everyone agreed to go to Mm-hmm. was Peter Pan's flight. And we didn't agree in advance. It was just mm-hmm. where we everybody ended up. Mm-hmm. And Peter Pan, we get in line for Peter Pan. The kids get in line for Peter Pan, and so does Chrissy. It's like they do Seven Dwarfs Mine Train first. But they're off of Seven Dwarfs Mine Train by like 8.37 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so they walk over to Peter Pan, and they're in line for 40 minutes at Peter Pan. I'm like, so I'm calling Fred, and, you know, mm-hmm. who's in Canada. I'm like, Fred, there is absolutely no way there is a legitimate forty-minute wait at Peter Pan's flight. Seven minutes after the park up it just a, a park up. It just doesn't happen, right? There's no way. So it turns out Peter Pan was down, mm-hmm. and Peter Pan is at normally a very reliable ride.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But when you look at all of the other attractions that can be down in the park, it really starts to complicate how you p- give touring plans advice to people because, like, at the risk of making plans even more wordy you may need to start asking cast members if a ride has been down recently before you get in line, right? Like if before you get in line for Peter Pan, you, sh- you should have asked or we should have asked like, Hey, is this ride currently operating or has it been down recently? Because if it has, you should just go on to the next thing. But imagine you're trying to put that in a printed planner on a book, yeah, that's where it becomes really, really difficult. So, yeah. Anyway, more testing to uh, to do. Peter Pan is generally a very reliable ride. Um, it averages less than 20 minutes of downtime a day. So, mm-hmm. today was an anomalous thing. The funny thing was, like, half the people who walked over to Pan got in line. The other half decided to do something else. Mm-hmm. But then the Half that did not do Peter Pan happened to circle back around lunchtime, and it was coincidentally down again. So we're going to end up with an apples-to-apples apples comparison <laughs> for today, which uh, is not the way that we had, uh, we had planned it. So, yeah. Anyway,
0: some super interesting uh, testing there. This is a ride system that's existed since 55. Yeah, you know, 70 I mean, years old. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, replicated around the globe. So it's like, what could the issue be?
1: I don't know. Yeah, that causes it to be uh, to cause, causes it to be mm-hmm. down twice in one day. I mean, it's yeah. very rare. So normally, it's a it's a pretty good mm-hmm. second choice. The other strategy that we were testing was Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, Space Mountain, Buzz Layer before early theme park entry is done. Mm-hmm. So we'll say we'll see what happens. We'll have a we'll have a I'll collect all the data today, and then we'll test it a few more times, and then I'll come back on the show and talk about it.
0: Okay, cool, cool.
1: All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us about Aladdin's Oasis a combination restaurant show that ran at Disneyland one glorious year back in the 1990s. We'll be right back.
0: Do you feel like you need a bit more magic in your life? Why not give Storybook Destinations a try? Storybook Destinations is an authorized Disney vacation planner and all of their counselors who work for this full-service travel agency have received extensive training when it comes to the Disney theme parks, resorts, cruises, vacation packages, and more. These travel professionals have years of experience when it comes to planning customized Disney vacations, which is why you can always book with confidence when it's the Storybook Destination team that's helping you find the vacation of your dreams. Best of all, they offer their booking and planning services at no cost to you. So if you're once again ready to travel, why not learn more about what Storybook Destination has to offer by visiting their website, www.storybookdestinations.com.
1: As I was walking through the Magic Kingdom with Chrissy today, we both walked past the Diamond Horseshoe Saloon Review. Mm -hmm. And I remember, because again, we were talking about Touring Plane Software, that that was once also a restaurant slash show. And I remember how super complicated it was to program in a computer and say, yes, this is a restaurant, but it's also a show. Mm -hmm. Because the interesting thing there was you could kill two birds with one stone. Mm -hmm. You could get something to eat, and you could get some entertainment. But that wasn't the first time
0: Disney's tried that, right? No, no. In fact, what's kind of intriguing about Aladdin's Oasis is that uh, there was a show ahead of it. Uh, In fact, a a restaurant show in the exact place where this was eventually constructed in Adventureland in the mid-'90s, and that was Tahitian Terrace. And this entire tale, Len hinges on a request for maintenance. If we jump back to the, the, the 1990s, Disneyland had what they thought was a very solid expansion plan for the early 1990s. You know, Fantasmic was going to open in May of 1992, and then in January of 1993, Mickey's Toontown, the, the Disneyland's first new land in over 20 years, was going to open just seven months after Fantasmic at the okay. very back of the park. And then uh, it was Frank Wells himself who who requested this. But evidently, Roger Rabbit cartoon spin was done when Mickey's Toontown opened in January of 93. But Wells was like, wait a minute, we're going to need something to promote the next year. You know, just let's mothball that. And then one year later, let's announce that, hey, you can come to the park and see cartoon spin. And so that's January of '94, and then if we jump ahead another fifteen months after that to May of '95, this is when Indiana Jones Adventure is going to come online. So for four years, Disneyland had what they thought was a really solid plan to keep consistently high attendance levels. Because remember, you're, you're particularly when we're talking about the California parks, you know, you're relying on Southern California locals, folks who come from a you know, hundred miles away, you know, at least once a year. And so it's like, this is a good plan. So budgets are approved, schedules are set, most house managers are happy. But then Aladdin comes out in November of 1992 and quickly becomes the highest grossing film of the year left. It also becomes the very first full-length animated feature to sell over a half a billion dollars worth of tickets worldwide. Wow. Okay. So it gets everyone's attention. But here's the thing. What especially gets the folks in Burbank's attention is that Aladdin becomes an attendance driver at Disney MGM in Florida. They get the Aladdin's Royal Caravan Parade that debuts... December 21st, 1992, about four weeks after the movie First Bows in theaters. And people line up hours in advance for along a, a Hollywood Boulevard for a, a view of this thing. Likewise, the soundstage restaurant in that park is begins doing turnaway business for their breakfast with Aladdin. Really? Yeah. And so this does not go unnoticed by the folks in Burbank. And so they turned to the, the team at Disneyland and said, have you seen what's going on in Orlando with the Aladdin stuff? And, wow. And the Disney better said, well, yes, that's nice. But have you seen our already scheduled and budget expansion plan for the next four years? <laughs> 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 to which the folks in Burbank reply, Mr. Eisner would really like to see some stuff in Disneyland that celebrates Aladdin. To which the folks who work in the team Disney Anaheim buildings are, yes, sir, right, sir, right way, sir. So first thing they do Len, is they order up a clone of Disney MGM's Aladdin Royal Caravan Parade. Now now it's a rush job, but it still takes nearly six months before a a second set of this five unit parade, which supported by nearly a hundred performers, can begin rolling through Disneyland in April of 1993 because the parade route at Disneyland is actually much longer than the one that rolls through MGM. The entertainment department decided, "Okay, we need to sort of beef up the parade a bit." So they added <laughs> Bring three- on the dancing horses. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not entirely wrong. Okay, they three additional sets of characters added to the Anaheim Royal Caravan. We got the Peacock Girls, the okay. Silk Maidens, and the Harem Camels. Harem Camels. I'm just telling harem? you, Len. Uh, trust me on this. Harem. Do not Google harem camels. <laughs> <laughs> These walk-around characters will haunt your dreams. Okay, oh, you no just I have to do it. Go ahead, keep talking. Okay. So anyway, all right. Now we get to the food component of today's story. Disneyland really wanted an Aladdin-themed restaurant that would do the sort of turnaway business that the, the soundstage at MGM was doing with this breakfast in Aladdin. On a parallel track, the folks who ran the Tahitian Terrace at Disneyland, which, by the way, opened in 1962— and, and this is the flyer they used to hand out to guests as they came to the turnstile to, to, to promote this adventure land eatery. It offered unique Polynesian specialties, served in an exotic setting, bordering the Rivers of the Jungle Cruise. And this was something Walt himself put in motion. So, you know, there were all sorts of little Walt touches to the show. Like, for example, the waterfall curtain. This was actually one of the defining features of the Tish and Harris is, as folks are sitting there eating their teriyaki steak or the Australian lobster tail, this waterfall curtain would suddenly part and then performers would step out and, and begin spinning torches, you know, flaming torches or pull people on stage and teach them how to hulu, wow. or excuse me, hula. And the waterfall curtain from 62, Len, is starting to look a little raggedy. I
1: he's 30 years old, so yeah.
0: Yeah, so the park's maintenance team had a sit-down with the Imagineers. Given that the Jungle Cruise was supposed to undergo this huge reinvention the following year, that was the year when all of the boats, for this Adventureland attraction, were going to lose their signature white and red awnings and then get mm. far grubbier, more beaten-up look, with, with the idea that the boats that were floating by the Temple of the Forbidden Eye would now look like they were part of the world of Indiana Jones. Oh, okay, all right. And so the the people who are in charge of the Daehian Terrace are like, "Hey, we know you're making changes to the Jungle Cruise next year. While all that works going on, can we please get some guys to come over and fix the water curtain at our restaurant? Cause it's, Maybe it's just looking... clean the leaves out of the gutter. That might fix it. I'm there just we saying." Go. <laughs> Okay, to which the imaginary say, we have an even better idea. Dun, dun, dun. We're now going to gut the Tahitian Terrace and turn it into a Latin's Oasis, which will feature animatronics and elaborate special effects and, and ornate tiles. Just need the gutters clean. Just you're, need the gutters clean. <laughs> and the, 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 no, the, the guys with the t-shirt, you're not wrong. It's like, we, we just need the waterfall curtain repaired. <laughs>
1: it's like you go to the dentist for just you know routine cleaning, and they're like, you got 12 hours? <laughs>
0: need, you need some work. You can go to SFF Gate. They had an article that they printed just last year. You know, I mean, mind you, the Tahitian Terrace, after 30 years in yeah. operation land, and over 40,000 performances, it closes in April of 1993. And there are employees Oof. who are still bitter. About bitter it. to this
1: day? Yeah. Yeah. Walking around saying there's nothing more dangerous than an Imagineer with a budget. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, no.
0: They didn't have a budget, Len. They had a blank check. All right?
1: Oh. So
0: this is what happened. Now, the way it normally works at Imagineering, when you're going to redo a restaurant, and and you and I have talked about your experiences dealing with this. In fact, when we were at Disneyland last time, and you, you were commenting on the fact that the bathrooms at uh, DCA still reflect the the lands that used to be there because that's the most difficult thing to change, right? A a, a bathroom.
1: no No one wants to do a bathroom remodel unless you absolutely have to, and that's why they don't. Yeah, okay. there's some glorious tiles in there from from er, the early 2000s. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, particularly Paradise Pier and over at the. That's Pier right. Garden. The Paradise
1: Pier is like it's like three revisions back. Oh yeah, on Paradise yeah, Pier, okay. the uh, the one behind the uh, the merry-go-round. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. no, 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 absolutely. But to get back to the Tahitian Terrace, Aladdin's always his thing. So when Disneyland typically does a restaurant redo from the Concept phase to the first guest coming through the door is typically a year. In okay. the case of Aladdin's Oasis, again, Tahitian Terror shuts down on April 17th, 1993. Three months later, Oof. Aladdin's Oasis opens. And wow. They did not have blueprints when they started this thing. <laughs> Put the two by four over there. It's so much worse. You you literally have a construction team standing in the restaurant. They are gutting. And it's like, well, what is this place supposed to look like? Hang on. Somebody actually walks down to Main Street, goes into the bookstore, buys John Kilhane's The Making of Aladdin book. And yeah. they, they okay. literally bring that back to the work site. And it's like you're pointing to illustrations from the movie. Well, it's supposed to look kind of like this. The plan was that Aladdin's Oasis would present eight shows a day. Uh, it, starting at 11 a.m., there would be three lunchtime performances and then five dinnertime presentations. Uh, with the final show of the day getting underway, Wayland at 10 p.m. Oof. Okay, that's, that's late for kids. All right. It's an ambitious plan, Jim. It's an ambitious plan. The entire Aladdin's Oasis plan was ambitious. I mean, for example, when you, you made the turn coming into Adventureland and looked at Aladdin's Oasis, first of all, you were looking at this grand Persian palace that has appeared out of nowhere. It's it's, it's now right at the edge of the rivers of the Disneyland's uh, Jungle Cruise ply and, and the conceit of it, Len, is it's a sixth century supper club. 250 people at a time would come through this restaurant's entrance. Which, by the way, you're, you're stepping on a beautiful, ornate inlaid tile on in the foyer. And then okay. you're greeted by Kazim, the owner of, of this establishment, which is festooned with hanging brass lanterns and colorful canopies and oriental rugs and... Because Disneyland wanted people to pay in order to see the, the, the show at Aladdin's Oasis, we have this, this giant you know, Persian Palace entrance, but we also have a wall. So, Jim, real quick. So, if I'm walking down Main Street USA, I make
1: a left. Mm-hmm. I walk past the Enchanted Tiki Room, which is on my left. Then I make a left turn to go into, mm-hmm. Adventureland, and it's basically the thing right in front of me at that point.
0: You, me, and Mr. Shul walked by where it used I was going to say,
1: yeah, there's still parts of it still. Are. Okay, go ahead. All right, okay. okay. Just to so, really sure where we're at. Okay.
0: All right. But because they wanted people to pay, when the show was underway, even in the entrance, they pulled this giant curtain. You know, I mean, the, the fact that you could definitely hear the show. I mean, think about how much at Disneyland, you know, the effect of oh that looks interesting. We should go there. And and the fact that yeah. they made this decision to to literally hide it from sight. And uh, more to the point, it was the exact same thing from the Jungle Cruise. I mean, one of the real architectural wonders of the Aladdin's Oasis show is, you know, in the middle of the stage, they had a giant tiger's head. I mean, we're talking, you know, this thing that was in the center of the stage that you'd have to take a couple of steps to get up to, but then on top of that, it's a 10 foot tall version of the tiger's head, the the cave of wonders from the Aladdin film. Wow. All right. But somebody who'd actually been thinking ahead might've positioned this in such a way that as you were going by in the jungle cruise, it's like, wow, look at the giant tiger's head. We should go there. And and me like, see what that is. All right. Yeah, but you know what they did, Len, is they they opted to build. And in fact, you know, the, it, what's so funny is that it was the backside of rock work, Ugh. just a giant rock that faced into the river, and it lost this opportunity to to get people intrigued to come in. Anyway,
1: all right, Jim, I got, I got to ask this real quick. So mm-hmm. you you mentioned the uh, the the show. Does the meal service begin mm-hmm. with um, because the beginning of the, the beginning of Aladdin? Yep. Starts with Aladdin stealing a loaf of bread and then running there around. Right. And what's, what's the song? Oh, uh, one jump. Okay. Is that how bread comes to your
0: table? Because <laughs> <laughs> if not, Jim, I have some notes. <laughs> the show does in fact start with one jump, but the gimmick is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. The, the guests are seated and you, you're still sitting there eyeballing the menu, trying to decide, all right, am I doing the sh- chicken shish kebab with, with herb, yeah. garg- or the brief, or the vegetarian? And Aladdin now enters the restaurant clutching a loaf of bread. And he's pursued by Jafar's uh, henchman. The- how is this not bread service, Jim?
1: Ah, I- oh, we lost an opportunity here, folks. All
0: right. Yeah, well, but, but here's the thing. That this moment pretty much establishes the style and tone of, of the show presented at Aladdin's Oasis. It's not a beat for beat a recreation of the storyline from the animated okay. future. It's kind of a, a greatest hits. Inspired by. All right. And you know, with the idea that that whenever possible, the storyline of the Sixth Century Supper Club would then somehow circle back to a food-based moment. Like when they do friend like me late in the show, Aladdin makes a wish with the lamp to the effect of he wishes that everybody in the audience had a friend like Jeannie. And okay. and in fact, to give you some idea of the the level of effects in the show, Aladdin then recruits everybody in the audience. The effect of rub the lamp that's in the middle of your table. And as yeah. you do that, smoke begins to pour out of the lamp at the table. And while everybody's distracted by that servers come in with a chocolate lamp for everybody on us. it's filled with chocolate mousse and has a berry topping.
1: It's not a terrible idea. I, I kind of would have used the lamp going back to my bread service idea to have mm-hmm. a, uh, to hold a really nice uh, olive oil, oh. but okay. All right. There we go. Okay. All right. And
0: uh, by the way, we mentioned early on that the show had audio animatronics, that there was an animatronic version of a Iago that actually predated <laughs> the one from the Enchanted Tiki room under new management. But Gilbert God- Godfrey himself came back and re- really? uh, recorded dialogue for this thing. And, the gentleman who is dressed in the walk around jafar outfit performed actual magic on stage i don't know if you've ever seen that that classic illusion of you know somebody steps into a box and they they shove swords into it and somehow they survive that moment in this case, it's those curved scimitars from uh, from Aladdin, and they're jam- you know it's Jafar and an assistant jamming them into a box that the princess Jasmine is hiding in. So there's a number of videos of Aladdin's oasis on YouTube right now. So it's 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 if you you're intrigued to, to check out the show, uh, head on over there to check it out. What's harder to understand is even though uh, Aladdin's a hit movie. And yep. by the way, the uh, the VHS would come out in September of 1993 and go on to sell mm. millions of copies. So, again, in theory, hit movie. This yep. yeah, hit movie, popular character, this thing should be still be running to this day, Jim. By September, <laughs> late summer of 1994, just 14 months after it opened, uh, the Latin Oasis show stops running. And by 1995, the restaurant had closed. And... As wow. it's been explained to me, it's like, look, everything at a Disney theme park, especially in the, the latter portion of the Michael Eisner years, was its own profit center. It had to make a certain regular return on investment in order to justify the ongoing cost of staff in the place. And uh, Aladdin's Oasis, it just was not the case. And and they had a blank check going into this. And the the reason it was rushed is... Michael Eisner thought the summer of 93 was going to be this white hot moment for Aladdin. And so that's why he wanted the Royal Caravan running at Disneyland, right. uh, which by the way, also only ran for a year as opposed to damn near five years at at MGM. Hmm. And they spent so much money rushing to get the Sixth Century Supper Club up out of the ground. The way it was explained to me, the only way this project was ever going to recover its construction costs was if every single seat for all eight seatings every day were filled. That sounds like a fabulous plan. A
1: total, total success. Really doable.
0: And and they tried. They really tried to get people to go to this thing. In fact, for a time, if you booked reservations for uh, Aladdin's Oasis, they would include a prime viewing spot for the Aladdin's Royal Caravan parade, and they'd Mm. even throw in a reserve viewing spot for Fantasmic, which was relatively new at, at that point, and uh, still a white-hot Like, hot like a, first attempt, at a yeah, first attempt at a dining package. Yeah, but, yeah. okay, so I, I get
1: it. You know, Aladdin's a hot property. Yeah. Um, but still, Jim, there's going to come some random Tuesday in September when there's a 2.30 show that just isn't filling by itself, and you're not going to drag people off of Holly, uh, Harbor Boulevard mm-hmm. to do it.
0: Okay. But they put so much money into it, Len. That long after they'd abandoned the idea of using it as a a restaurant, they then began to do a story time with Aladdin and Jasmine. I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. uh, You could go in there and they'd tell the story of, of themselves of Aladdin and then Genie would join them and then there would be this amazing photo op in front of... Uh, the Cave of Wonders. And there was even a, a time when they had this amazing Cave of Wonders prop, the giant tiger head, that Disney invented a another way that they could reuse this space. And, and it, it, it involved a certain Dr. Jones. Oh, there you go. Sadly, just like, okay, we have to write this off. And so that they tear it down and they create the Tropical Hideaway, which, which came online in December of, of 2018. And during our most recent visit to Disneyland, I, I ducked in there and, and got a dole whip. And it, uh, I mean, mm. very pleasant space. But the failure of Aladdin's Oasis, it exacted a price line. Uh the Imagineers okay. had two other Supper Club experiences in the works for the parks back then. One of them uh would have been built at Disney's boardwalk and uh would have been Little Mermaid themed. That there's a couple of pieces out our artwork out there for this thing that are just amazing. And huh. the other one, there was a time on Sunset Boulevard where we were supposed to get the South Seas Club. That would totally go with the studios. Oh, that would totally make sense. Mm, yeah.
1: So the Aladdin show, the Aladdin dinner show failed so hard that it took down two other dinner shows with it. it. Did. A, it a, did. A, a, a project failure rate of 300%. <laughs>
0: There we go, there. Jim. That is
1: that uh, that is an achievement, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, I've been on some failing projects before, but never one that has killed three times as many projects. Uh, no, just, <laughs> wow! Uh, how about okay. that?
0: Well, well, again, you know that that's the thing. They were, you know, they were so certain. You, you think about project going forward with a blank check, and normal takes a year to build these things. They get it up and running in five months. I mean, that's nuts. So, anyway, speaking yeah. of which. I have to assume we have some listeners who managed to get into Aladdin's Oasis during that brief fourteen months that it was up and running. And uh, what are your memories of this this short lived dining experience at Disneyland? Oh yeah, that, that's that's fantastic. If anybody's uh, actually done this mm-hmm. or has photos, please send them in. But um, more to the point, come back next week and we'll have the story of the sequel, which is the the secret of the stone tiger.
1: All right, Jim, that's fantastic. I, uh, mm-hmm. I love it. And a uh, nice uh, segue into next week's episode. I try. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show into Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's show, I'm trying to talk Laurel into seeing Indiana Jones 5 in theaters, so Jim talks about the Indiana Jones Summer <laughs> of Hidden Mysteries promotion at Disneyland Park in 2008. You can find more of Jim at gmailmedia.com and more of me, Len at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be bringing Thea Adams' recipes for Ziki to the 2023 Big Greek Festival from Friday, June 16th through Sunday, June 18th. Aaron Suvlaki is going to run out before then, folks, so get there early at the St. Andrew's Greek Orthodox Church just across from the Casa de Pasta on Sussex Turnpike in beautiful downtown Randolph, New Jersey. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Lynn. We will see you on the next show.